0: What do you get when the audacious and the therapist collide? A crash course in unpolished therapy. Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca aren't afraid to spin out of control, tackling all the tough talk. Their weekly sesh meets at the corner of Audacity and Advice, where their wheels and yours get turned upside down.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Wednesday, which means it's Unpolished Therapy Day. I am Rachel Silver Cohen and I'm sure you know what's coming next. I'm here with my favorite non-therapist therapist, therapist, Dr. Boca. What's up, Dr. Boca? How are you doing? I feel like it's been a long week, but um, maybe
2: it hasn't for everybody else. But for me, it's been an extremely long week.
1: Yeah, it's been a minute. I feel like we haven't we haven't checked in, so I'm happy to to have a Wednesday with you and Always. that means we have Wednesdays with our listeners as well. So let's jump in. I do have something that I think is really relevant and it's not sexy and it's not sultry. But it is incredibly unpolished in the sense that it's incredibly sensitive. And I think as parents and people, inclusive of all, we need to address it. And the topic I want to talk about with you is that of children in today's generation who sadly are becoming victim and prey to what's happening online with the internet, Black market, if you will, or with these street drugs and the opioid crisis. Oh my! Gosh. And how kids? Yeah, no. It, it, this is a thing, and this is a topic, and there are children upon children upon children who think that they're experimenting, mm-hmm. Doctor Boca, and that experiment leads to only one place, and that place is is in the grave. I I mean, I, I'm going to be blunt because no, you're right because. This is something that I am undoubtedly shaken mm-hmm. by. And I had heard a story. I'm now, I wrote something on the blog and I want our listeners to actually, I'm asking you to stop what you're doing and go on my website, silverandpolished.com and read my latest article that I did titled, I'm mourning the loss of a kid I didn't even know. And I'm pleading with you folks out there to stop what you're doing and reading it because I think we have a responsibility as parents and just people in society to be aware of what is going on out there. And Dr. Boca, you and I have talked so much in previous episodes, regardless of the topic, that knowledge is power. Absolutely. And to be knowledgeable about something, no matter how dark and grim it is, is so important right now. And, you know, I say dark and grim and then i it's almost like I want to laugh because, you know, I have like that foolish piece of me. (laughs) But I I hate to say it like this is one area when it comes to our children and the fragility that they have with life and what they've been exposed to and how scary Mm -hmm. it is from minute to minute. These decisions that these children are making are so dire. It's hard for me to find any type of sense of humor. And I'm imploring our listeners today to sit back and listen to what we're talking about because sometimes we have to put humor aside and we have to knock the fear into ourselves and our kids to try to prove a point if it means saving a life. I'll halt the laughter to really get into the meat and potatoes of this unbelievably sad and dire epidemic. It's a tragic
2: tragic epidemic and it's happening not only with teens, sadly happening younger and younger these days, especially throughout the virus and the quarantine. I mean, the numbers are exploding. It's also increasing with access. And what I mean by access is when you and I were kids and we wanted to experiment. It was, did someone steal it from their parents or did they like have a big brother or a big sister who was dealing or know a dealer? And what did we get? We like got maybe pot, Every once in a while, there might have been something a little bit stronger, but we didn't have access like they do now. It's so easy now. You can just go on the internet and buy stuff on some black market or through a friend and you text them and they'll meet you in five minutes. And now it's laced with horrible stuff. But I also want to just stress that it's not just the teens. I am hearing this about 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, let's keep going, 50-year-olds who have been successful and have gone through life, type A personalities, who get addicted to whatever, opioids. They're getting addicted to Percocets. They're getting addicted to the Xanaxes, They're getting addicted to the Adderalls. I mean, they are just out of control. And it's one thing to take it. It's another thing to not know where you're getting
1: it from and
2: what it's leased with.
1: Okay. So yes to that. I want to break this up into two kind of compartments because What has rattled me as of late are not, and not that it's the lesser of the evil, it's all absolutely terrible. And it leads you down a very deep, dark abyss of death, frankly. But what we need to separate are on the one hand, the people, be it teenagers, young adults or adults for that matter, who are doing dangerous drugs and becoming addicted to it. That problem I'm kind of putting on shelf number one. Okay. Okay. That is a problem that has to be addressed. I don't know how to address it, but we do need to talk about it. The other problem that I think, at least for me, is the front of my mind most recently are the teens, the kids, the young adults, and the adults who Don't even get the chance to become addicted because they think, and again, I just kind of want to back up by saying in today's world versus our world, there were the quote unquote druggies, the Mm -hmm. bad kids, okay, that either A, became addicted or B, something dire happened and they OD'd and then they died, right? Yes. My fear and what I'm trying to present to the world now through our podcast and why this topic is so important is because... The second compartment, okay, is that kids, and again, teens, kids, adults, young adults, whomever, some of them don't even have the opportunity to become addicted. They're taking a pill that they think they bought a Xanax from whomever because they're Mm -hmm. a little anxious that's laced with fentanyl and then they die. They take a Percocet for, I don't know, they need to numb out whatever that's laced with fentanyl or Mm -hmm. other synthetic poison. And they die Mm -hmm. or they are lunatics and they have ADHD and they think that, you know, their friend down the street knows a guy who knows a kid who knows a person who's got a friend. And then they go online on these Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. And the next thing they know, it's laced with poison. Mm-hmm. synthetic or yep. the fentanyl whatever it is and the addiction would be the best case scenario sure they don't get that option and that is the point of what i am trying to get out there to all of us as parents and people okay we don't want to lose siblings we don't want to lose parents god forbid we do not ever want to be in the camp of the group of parents who have lost children to Absolutely. a mistake in, and innocent sim- people- mistake an innocent mistake. And the other thing that I kind of, kind of circling back to this article that, that got me so revved up when I had heard a couple of weeks ago that a young boy, a 16 year old boy, a good boy. Mm -hmm. Okay. From parents who are loving and supportive and involved and a family that were movers and shakers. And these are not street people. Okay. These are people who this child is going places in the world and was applying or about to apply to college and had his whole life ahead of him. And what makes me so scared is that it could have been any of our children. And I'm just putting it out there because that's how scary it is. And we have to come up with other ways to convey to our smart, seemingly successful children who are movers and shakers and have a whole life ahead of them to succeed, to not get caught up in, well, it's not going to happen to me, or don't worry, mom, or I know, and and you don't have to tell me again. Yes,
2: we do. Over and over and over again. And I don't know what you did, but when I read about it, I pulled my almost 13-year-old in who is not anywhere aware of this and is not on social media, has, hasn't has read the story, does hasn't may have heard of it from her friends, but doubtful. And I pulled her aside and we had a conversation about it. And I'm starting now, 12 years old, having these conversations. I don't understand. When I was 12, I didn't have a clue about drug use. We were taught to say no to drugs, right? And that was it. I didn't know what those drugs consisted of. I was very naive and very sheltered. But I'm not stupid enough to believe that, like you said, it couldn't happen to any one of us. We are coming from an environment where these are movers and shakers and successful kids, academically sound, motivated, and the pressure is on them to be successful, whether it's from us, whether it's from the schools, whether it's from the community, whether it's from their friends they are feeling pressured. And I believe that a lot of these kids are, it's also peer pressure. You're hearing it from their friends. Their friends are buying stuff. Oh, come on, try it. We've all been in those situations. And I'm telling you, if we don't have these conversations now with our kids, the end result will be what happened to that tragic boy, because all they think is that they're getting a Xanax. They don't realize, they don't have the mindset and the understanding that, It's not just Xanax. It comes laced with shit now. It is dirty. It is dangerous. And we just have to keep telling our kids that.
1: I agree with everything that you said, so much so that part of what goes through my mind is when I think back to when we were kids, and this is the difference, that yes, we cannot be naive enough to think that kids don't experiment. Mm -hmm. We all did. And Mm -hmm. I'm the first one to sit my children down and say, guys. I don't want to be a hypocrite, okay? Yes, I experimented. Nothing super crazy or whatnot. But when I look back, there was some things that pure luck that I'm here to still tell the story, okay? And I want my kids to know that because I'm trying to lay it all out there. But there is a fine line between Mm -hmm. I'm not their friend and I'm not suggesting, hey, kids, if you want to experiment come to me so that I can make sure it's clean. That's not the role I want to take. Although I know there are some people in my circles or travels that I've spoken to that would sooner have them say, no, no, if you're going to try something, tell me and let me get it for you so that it is pure and clean and all that. I'm not prepared to go down that road right now. And I am not, everyone out there, again, here comes the disclaimers. I don't think Dr. Boca and I would ever suggest that you be an advocate for your children. Hey, if you're going to try drugs, get them for me. I'm not putting my name on that at all. That being said, they have to know the difference between street drugs, these Mm -hmm. dirty, disgusting, low-life scumbag of the earth. Ask me how I feel, I'll tell you. (laughs) Uh, That would have the audacity, okay, to sell drugs that are late to make a buck. Yep. And then run the risk of being a murderer. Because that's mm-hmm. what these people are. They're murderers. Absolutely. So how do we then convey to our kids that experimentation from when we were growing up, okay, that we're here to talk about it because we were the quote unquote lucky, lucky ones. ones. Experimentation in today's world cannot be the same. We're not playing on the same field. It is not apples to apples. It's just not. And I think- so. I think that's
2: exactly what you have to explain to them. We didn't have access like this. We didn't have chemicals like this. People weren't as innately malicious and they weren't as self-serving as trying to make a buck the way that they are now by saying, hey, I'll go get you know pot and I'll give it to you or I'll go get Coke and I'll give it to you oh, but now I can make more because this shit's going to be really good. So I'll make more on the fact that this kid doesn't know that there's fentanyl in it and they'll die. But God, I'm going to make a lot of money because my shit's going to be really good. We didn't have that. So I have no problem explaining to my children. And again, yes, I'm a psychologist, but this is me as a parent talking. Please understand that. I have no problem talking to my kids about, you know, look, I've done some dumb stuff in my life. I have, and I am very blessed that I made it through those dumb decisions that I made and those experimentations. But like you said, we're not comparing apples to apples. These are the things that happen today. And we have to explain that that stuff didn't happen back then. We didn't have social media. We didn't have the exposure. We didn't have the access. It was different. And going back to having the conversation again, I'm not buying drugs for my kids, not doing it. Look, I would rather them have a conversation with me about it and talk to me about it. I'm not going to say, yes, go buy it. I'm not going to say, hey, I'm going to go buy it for you. But I am going to ask them questions. If this is what they ultimately are going to do, I want to educate them as much as possible. I don't think my kids, I'm not saying my kids would never do it, but I think we've instilled the fear of God in them that Mm -hmm. if they were going to do it, they would be in such a bad place to have to do it so far behind our backs, right? Um, but I could be totally naive and totally wrong by that. You know, I'm not stupid enough to believe that it will never happen to my kids. God willing, it won't. And I'm hoping that the open line of communication makes it so that if they're going down that path, they will come to us and talk to us knowing that, look, it's okay, it's
1: okay, but I want to make sure that you're okay. Well, and the thing that scares me though, Dr. Boga, is, In today's world, there is no going down the path because the second they put their foot on the path, they can't take another step. The the path is over and they're Mm -hmm. in the grave. And I have two points I want to try to make. You know, I'm a big analogy person, so I'm hoping that this will translate. Number one, and I discussed this with my children, when we were growing up and to the listeners out there, you know, we'll say the early 70s. But take it even farther back. If there's people who are listening, any age bracket, even prior to the early 70s, okay, the phrase that we used to throw around, okay, we used to say, oh, you're retarded. This one's retarded. You're retarded. Okay. And and it wasn't politically incorrect to say that until we as a society decided you don't use that word in a derogatory way. And that is just absolutely unacceptable. And you Mm -hmm. know what? Somehow, along the way, over the decades, oh, we now, our children in a million years, I mean, my kids have mouths the likes of which are pretty unpolished, and I'll take credit <laughs> or blame, whichever <laughs> way you want to look at it, but the one thing I have never heard come out of their mouth is the word retarded, because they've been trained to know that's just off the table. We don't say that, and that problem that existed when we were growing up is not a problem anymore. It's eradicated. Okay? Yeah. Same thing with I hope drunk driving, mothers against drunk drivers. In today's world, the last thing you would expect would be for a kid to be dumb enough, mm-hmm. okay? And I say that with such conviction because you would have to be an absolute moron in today's world of Uber and Lyft and all these why would you ever behind the wheel of a car if you've had something to drink? We've I don't want to be so bold to say we've completely eradicated Drunk driving, but the knowledge, at least with our children, that's been ingrained in them from the time that they were zero. Okay. Absolutely. So those are two kinds of analogies that I make. Again, it's a no brainer, so to speak. Now the drug situation is different, different. because mm-hmm. it's ever changing and ever evolving and everyone thinks they're smarter than the next mm. and it's becoming scarier and scarier and scarier, even though we as parents think that we are talking to them and we are educating. And I'm going to tell you one more thing, and then I'm going to shut up and turn it back to you. But in the blog post I wrote, and everyone, again, silverunpolished.com, the name of the article is called I'm Mourning a Kid I Didn't Even Know. The analogy that I made, I want to share the story with you because I do think that kind of speaks a little bit to the point with kids these days. My children my older son, I should say, was in the car a week ago, two weeks ago, with two of his friends, and I'm the driver. And we all know when you have teenage kids, like you're not allowed to talk; you just <laughs> drive and get them from point A to point B. So the kids were in the back seat, and they were having a heated debate, and they were talking about what they love—sports—and Gretzky came up. Okay, oh, that's a name now, from the past. yeah, well, I'm so happy you said that because it points to the issue at hand. So. They're having a heated debate about Wayne Gretzky and it was ice hockey and I wasn't really paying attention because that's not the sport that happens in this house. But, you know, I'm listening with one ear and I have my eyes on the road with my other ear and they're saying Wayne Gretzky was the GOAT back in the day, right? He was the greatest of all time in his craft and no one can argue that. But in today's world, he would never, ever be able to keep up with the skill level and the acumen with of these players on the ice. And it's just, it's not a parallel universe. And they're going on and on and on. Everyone wants to make their point, but they were all actually in agreement that Wayne Gretzky then would never be the GOAT that he was today.
2: Sure. Okay? I think that's, that's true for any athlete, any person in, sure. I and mean, across any industry. Sure.
1: So I'm driving, you know, this is right at the cusp when this latest tragedy had happened. And I was a total wreck over the whole thing. And I thought to myself, Oh my God, That's it. That's another way that I can convey to the kids something that they'll truly relate to without them getting angry at me and rolling their eyes again. Oh, mom wants to have the drug talk. That I can liken today's world of drugs and experimentation to the old days of experimentation while still being honest with them that they know that I dabbled and I tried things and all of that, but to liken it to Wayne Gretzky. Okay? So, but I keep my mouth shut and I knew I can't do this in the car and I need to wait and so on and so forth. So the day went on and we got home and my younger son was not in the car and we sat down at the table and, you know, and I write in the article, like I'm never one to pass up a teachable moment, right? (laughs) So I asked my older son to relay to my younger son, hey, tell him what you were talking about in the car with the whole Wayne Gretzky thing, right? So he did. And then that was when I was like coming in for the kill. (laughs) I can imagine you were. And I said, guys, I know we've kind of beaten this to death, no pun intended, about the drug situation and the story I had told you about last week that I'm all hot under the collar about, but I kind of just want to bring it back around to explain to you that the experimentation that's going on with kids and youth and teens and adults, young adults, as you mentioned earlier, in today's world, it's a Wayne Gretzky situation, Mm. okay? The Wayne Gretzky of drugs can't play in the same ice rink in today's world the game of drugs there are no winners anymore everybody loses because if you're lucky enough to live you're then addicted uh-huh. okay and if you're unlucky enough you die you a choice to even climb out from under the, the 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 darkness of addiction you die so we, we you know we're going through we're going through it little eye rolls or a little bit of silence. And then my son, my older son looked at me and he said, mom, I think I know what you mean. It's also kind of like Wilt Chamberlain. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I looked at him and, you know, I cry when the wind blows and I'm like choking back tears and all that. And he said something along the lines of he was the goat back then with basketball, but the game now it's too fierce and it's too intense and he would never be able to keep up. And I looked at him and I swear to you guys, everyone listening out there, you know, again, you you know me well enough to know now I cry when the wind blows, but I'm like fighting back the tears. And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, I said, today it is, it's too intense. It's too Mm -hmm. fierce. You just can't keep up. And that's my unpolished teachable moment.
2: But it wasn't unpolished at all. It was actually perfect. And what I was going to say when you were telling the story is this is the first time hearing of it is you took on the Dr. Boca role and you did it stellar. (laughs) You really did better than I could have done it. But you got to speak to them in a language and in a language that they understand. And that was perfect. I mean, kudos to you for being attuned enough to listening to the conversation that they were having, which by the way, any parent knows that you never, ever, ever opt out of an opportunity to carpool because that is when the real stuff comes up. Okay. So just, you know, life lesson number 428 from Dr. Boca, never turn that uh, down that opportunity. That being said, what an amazing moment. If you can translate it into a language that they understand, it is a million times more meaningful and impactful and it will get them on a visceral level. And once you hit them on that visceral level, they trust you. They trust you to know that what it is they're talking about or you're talking about, you know what you're talking about. You get it. You understand it, and now they do. And even if they can't imagine ever being down there, when they get to that moment, they will think about Will Chamberlain, or they will think about Wayne Gretzky, and you got them. And that's that's the key to this. That is the key. We are never, ever, ever going to be able to stop our children from the decisions that that they make. All we can do is hope that we've instilled learning in them, so that when faced at that crossroad, they can remember the moments that they had with us and the, the lessons that we taught them and that they can make the decision that will keep them safe. We can't control it other than locking our kids in the house. And let me tell you, locking our kids in our house, we saw with the quarantine, did anything but eradicate this. If anything, it made it worse. So that's not the answer either. But what you can do is you can do your best to be present with them, speak to them in their language help them understand it, even though it's out of their understanding at, God willing, at 11 and 12 years old. But once you start planting that seeds and having continuous conversations in their language, and this is about drugs, this is about sex, this is about money, this is about anything. It's like building a muscle.
1: You start small and you keep building, but the muscle memory will always be there. I couldn't agree more. And I implore, truly, I implore all of our listeners. Dr. Boka, when you said, you know, they got it, My first reaction to that was, yeah, they got it in that moment. In that moment. But but moments move. And we are living in a world with such rapid fire pace of life that we have to continue to have those teachable moments. Absolutely. I'm imploring the listeners, go and read. On the bottom of my blog, I put some links in if you need if you have questions, if you want more information, if you or someone that you know is even struggling with, with any type of question relative to addiction, or you're not sure, or how do I this, or how do I that, there are links there. Obviously, Dr. Boca is a resource as well. But I'm, I'm imploring the listeners to, each of our kids are so different, right? And they're all wired differently, and they all react and respond to different triggers and likes and dislikes. Find an analogy. That mm-hmm. you think your kid will liken to. I don't care if it's food. <laughs> I don't, you know, <laughs> that, you know, back in the day, you know, we ate a Twizzler and, you know, that was enough of a sugar rush to get us going. But now it takes five boxes of Skittles or whatever. I mean, I know that sounds so silly, but whether it's another sports icon, I don't know. Maybe there's young girls who are gymnasts and Nadia each then versus. You know, whoever, whoever now. Even or, cars, cars would work. Cars, anything would work. Even the way that people study then versus now. Schools computers. They go to computers. The way that we view information back in the day, you waited for a newspaper to get dropped on your front lawn if you wanted to see what movie you were going to. Now all you do is you press sixteen different gadgets on eleven, you know, different machines, and you know, or even to the point that even. Back to bringing it full circle with drugs. Back in the day, you had, you needed a guy to have a person that had a friend that knew a thing that got you a guy. Now you push a button on your phone that's supposed to be safe for children and it's just not because there's evilness out there. And even though we want to instill the beauty of the world in our children so that they grow up, with a glass is half full kind of attitude and they don't grow up cynical and angry and think the glass is half empty. If we can figure out a way to have this generation still believe in the glass is half full, even though we are surrounded by half empty tragedies at every turn, that's the gift that we can give them. And that's what's going to keep their hearts beating because they're not going to be intrigued by the sexy sultriness of something that's so dirty and unsexy, at least from my vantage point. I couldn't agree more with you, Rachel. And,
2: you know, going back and not to change the subject at all, but I have to point this out because I wouldn't be Dr. Boca if I didn't. But going back to reinventing ourselves, I think you've just reinvented a passion of yours. I mean, this is- Making
1: sure my kids don't, God forbid, a million times- day or no, anyone I know but, for that matter?
2: No, not necessarily that, but that is a passion, right? So what's come out of this, Rachel, is, you know, going back to a few weeks ago when we did Reinventing Ourselves, I mean, your passion is palpable about this. And I understand that we're always passionate about where obviously keeping our children alive is obviously our number one thing. But this was such a clear example in this podcast of you. I can feel the emotion and the visceral um, reactions that you're having. And you're human. And as a parent, this is real stuff. And this is probably our most serious podcast that we have done yet. And I think it's such an important topic because look, you only get one chance really at this, like you said. And so what I implore everybody who's listening to do, like you've said, is find that analogy, but keep having the conversations. Even when your kids, like you said, were rolling their eyes, keep having them, keep finding different analogies, be present with them, show them these stories, make them watch the TV shows when the news is on, have them read the articles. I don't know if kids read anymore, but have them read the articles, right? Because that's how they're going to understand. That's how they're going to start to realize that this is real stuff and we aren't crazy moms that are just making this shit up to scare them.
1: Yeah. And look, I'm all for scaring them anyway and making shit up because that's how passionate I am about it. But you don't even have to make it up. You know, since this happened, I did join these groups because again, you know that I'm all about the power I can find from knowledge. And I've been now part of this group kind of from afar. You know, I want to read about it because I want to learn. And it's almost at a point where I want to extract myself from the group because I feel it so deeply. Every time I click and I see that another parent is now sadly part of a group that nobody wants to be in. And I'm so grateful That I'm not in that group, but even just reading about it, sometimes it's so much that you almost do feel, oh my god, I want to bury my head. I don't want to know from this, Mm -hmm. but we have Have to. to. That pain that's so raw Mm -hmm. has to be translated in a way. And again, that's where the slippery slope is. You don't want to scare your kids away. In how you're even conveying it, which I am being honest, I think I might be guilty of that a little bit because it was so raw for me that I was just freaking out. And then my kids, they don't respond well <laughs> when they see me crying. Like of course. that I think is a trigger for them and in, in mm-hmm. other things. And I have learned through my own process and my own scenarios of life that getting through to them with them seeing me so upset, mm-hmm. it, that doesn't work. So I've had to come up with other ways and it is trial and error, but I don't think that burying our head because it's too painful to, I'm not saying you have to sign up for every group out there that's dire and great. No, because then you'll need a Xanax. Exactly. (laughs) But the conversations Need to be front and center. And I know I mentioned this many podcasts ago. One of the rituals that we have in our family is that when we sit down at our table for dinner, we really, really try to make sure that we keep up with our highs and lows mm-hmm. and the ups and downs and the roses and thorns or, you know, whatever you want to call it as a way to kind of keep that conversation going. And even though we have that rule that you don't have to have a low, sometimes if you don't have a low, A way to keep that conversation going is just the reminder of, you guys, I heard another story about so-and-so or so-and-so, and and I just want to remind you, we keep the lines of communication open, et cetera, et cetera. So I was just going to say before you
2: brought that example up, which was excellent and so great that you guys do that in your family, I was going to help the listeners kind of generate some ways to have these conversations. And one of them is in those moments, whether it's dinner time, whether it's in the carpool line, whether it's, you know, shopping in the mall when you have your child with you and it's just the two of you and you make it a conversation that isn't. You know, all the way to the extreme of falling apart. And it isn't the other extreme of cold and calculated and detached from. We have to find that middle ground. And I know that you struggle with that on a daily basis, but it sounds like you're aware of it when you have these conversations because you're right. We don't want to scare our kids away from this. So we want to make it as natural as possible. Taking a very unnatural conversation and making it natural is difficult. So if you can steal those moments where I'll go outside with my younger one, and we'll throw a football and we have our conversations while we're throwing a football around or I'll do Papa shot with him or my daughter, I'll paint her nails or we'll be watching a TV show. And sometimes the things that are on the TV show, like we're very into Grey's Anatomy right now, sometimes that stirs conversation in such a natural way because there's a question about what's happening. Those are the times that we have the conversations. Sitting the kids down and saying we're having a conversation is oftentimes the memo to the child to gloss right over and check out and doing it in a way that's punitive and demeaning and condescending to them also. Teenagers don't respond to that. So mm. if you can just make it very natural where you're engaging in something else where it's something that they enjoy, but you're having those serious conversations, it doesn't feel as unpalatable. It's much more palatable for them to take it in and digest it.
1: So yeah. just something to think that's, about. Yeah, no, I think that that's an excellent suggestion. It's it's less manufactured and it's more authentic and back to, to a way where it's on their level. Is it sit down? mom has something to say, which again, I'm going to admit, we've done it that way a lot. We all have. But when we bring it down to their level, even though these are serious adult topics, they've got to be a part of it because it's happening to their generation and we don't want it ever getting any closer to home than it already is. So Rachel, I have to thank you because A, it's so
2: refreshing to speak to somebody who is on top of this and aware of this and not Pulling the wool over their, no, the blanket over their head, whatever the analogy is. I'm off on my analogies today, but who's not burying their head in the sand is probably the better way of saying it and is willing to have the tough talks and tackle those tough talks. So kudos to you. And I hope to our listeners, they are motivated and can feel the importance and the intensity of this conversation. And, you know, we've had made up in our head syllabus of how this season was going to go. And we've always said that when something comes up that we feel very passionate about and is timely, that we will throw everything else out of the water and we will focus in on that. And thank you for bringing this up because it is so important. And it is, like I said, refreshing to have somebody finally talking about it because so many people are afraid to have these conversations. So thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of
1: it. Well, thank you for sharing the passion with me and for letting me vent, but hopefully in a way that we are making a difference. Everyone out there, thank you for listening. Check out the blog, read the article, share it. This one, I'm asking you, don't just share it for me, share it for you and your family and your friends and your circle. Because knowledge is power. So head over to the blog, silverunpolished.com. Please reach out to us on unpolishedtherapy.com. You can email us if you have any questions or concerns or you do need help. Dr. Boga can gear you in the right direction, unpolishedtherapy at gmail.com. We're here for your questions, your concerns, as polished or unpolished as they may be. We thank you for listening. We will be back next week. As always, it's been a pleasure. For Dr. Boca and myself, Rachel Silver-Cohen, this has been Unpolished Therapy.
0: Great sesh, girls. Hey, everyone, like what you heard? Then don't miss out on what comes next. Subscribe now and please give the girls a five-star rating. Learn more at www.unpolishedtherapy.com. Find and like them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll see you next week when Rachel Silvercone and Dr. Boca ditch the couch, grab the mic, and break down all the wreckage.